Here's a true story I heard from a Methodist colleague in Indiana. Once upon a time, an ambitious and charismatic pastor got fed up with the lax spirituality he saw in his denomination. Deciding that it was high time for spiritual revival, he formed a new church body with like-minded congregations, congregations on fire with the Holy Spirit. The new church was called the Church of God in Holiness. Several years passed, the new church grew, more congregations joined its ranks, then the church had an election for its next president. The founding minister lost the election. Embittered, he left the church, took the congregations that had supported him, and founded the Church of God in true holiness. True holiness, as opposed to the fraudulent holiness in the church body he'd founded. If I asked you what holiness is, many of you might respond, closeness to God, or being a good person, maybe, or loving in a sacrificial way. Holiness encompasses all of that, and much more. Unfortunately, human beings have also added a shadow side to holiness. When Christians have emphasized the need to become holy, the need to be set apart for for Christ, which is all right and proper... They've also tended to become exclusionary. Us and them mindsets become entrenched where we are God's people. And they are, if not hellbound, at least destined to get a serious talking to by God when they get to those pearly gates. And while Lutherans don't talk about holiness qua holiness much... We have our own substitute for it. We call it orthodoxy, or right belief. For instance, what side were you on when the ELCA social statement, Human Sexuality, Gift, and Trust, passed the church-wide assembly by a single vote in 2009? There are, in fact, four sides, or four positions of bound conscience, according to the document. Two in particular represented dueling orthodoxies, or systems of right belief. And whatever side you were on, you probably heard it all. You may have even said some of these things, or thought some of these things. They just don't get it. They are twisting the scriptures. They are willfully holding up the progress of the church. Compare that to us. We get it. We understand the historic faith of the church. We interpret the scriptures faithfully. Whether establishing our orthodoxy or personal holiness, and as I I think in the Lutheran church, they're often conflated, it's being the same thing, the result is the same. You have this entrenchment of a superiority complex. We are orthodox. We get it. We are holy. We are God's people. They are not. Such a mindset has been utterly devastating to the church, fracturing our unity in the one who prayed that we would all be one. You see, holiness is not the exclusive domain of any particular group of Christians. Holiness, rather, is the destiny of all who belong to Christ. 
Holiness, simply stated, means being set apart for Christ. To be made holy, as we talk about in the third article of the Creed, means being made in the image of Christ, of dying to ourselves and rising to Christ. Being set apart for and made in Christ's image is a work that continues our whole lives. And this holiness is utterly impossible without the work of the Holy Spirit. Even our faith in Christ is utterly impossible without the ministrations of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit calls us all to the Christian life through hearing the gospel. The good news that Jesus Christ died and rose again for the life of the world. Through hearing the gospel, the Holy Spirit gives us the faith that saves us from sin, death, and the devil. When we get to this third article of the Creed, we realize that saving faith has nothing to do with what we can will or not will. Has nothing to do with our choice, really. Saving faith has everything to do with the Spirit. We can't will ourselves to have faith in Christ or to trust Christ to save us. So that means a couple of things. Faith is not a dry, boring, intellectual assent to doctrines that may or may not have any bearing on our lives. Faith is quite literally life from the dead. Faith is ongoing conversion, the ongoing process of being made holy. Nor is saving faith dependent on what we feel in any particular moment. If faith were dependent on something as fickle as feelings, you know, how your feelings change, can change from one moment to the next, none of us could have any hope of being saved. Thank God your faith doesn't depend on your feelings. The gift of faith, or better, trust in Christ as one's Lord, is so much more than intellect or feeling. Faith is about the whole person. It's the gift of the Spirit that makes us complete, whole, shalom people. In the Gospel of John, when Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit on a group of frightened disciples in that locked room, it was but the beginning of their lives of faith. You might call it like a commencement of sorts. Their education came to an end with, with the... With with the physical risen Jesus by them. After Jesus ascends to his Father, then that's when they're sent out into the world to continue their lives of faith. Being with Jesus was the education part of learning to walk, basically. This is the commencement time. This is the time they have to walk across the stage and they're sent into the world and they have to live lives in the Spirit. As John shows later on, though, the disciples needed to be refreshed in that spirit over and over again. They needed to experience ongoing conversion, ongoing growth in the Christ who died and rose for them. After all, the very next week, the very next week after our reading today, after our reading where they're in that room, they're back in that room again. They're back in that same locked room. They're with Thomas this time, but they haven't been able to take that step out the door yet and into the world. It was a process with them. 
process of being made holy, of living life in the Spirit. Easter was never just a one-day event. Easter was and is an ongoing event in the life of the church. Easter is an ongoing event now, even when the world seems to be stuck in a never-ending Good Friday. Easter is still ongoing. Christ is still raising us from the dead again and again. The Spirit is still rekindling faith in our heart to live in the image of Christ. And Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit, overcomes all sinful desires to divide, to separate into us and them. Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit, overcomes our desire to judge people out of a misguided standard of what constitutes holiness or orthodoxy or thinking correctly. The Holy Spirit has only one standard for both holiness and orthodoxy. For us to be continually formed, again, I'm saying this a lot. It sounds like I'm a broken record, but I don't care. To be continually formed in Christ's image. That is the definition of holiness and orthodoxy. To be the people we were meant to be. So we're here at the end of our series on the creed. Let's look back for a moment. Through each article of the, of the creed, we have explored how each person of the Trinity is God with and for us. God the Father gives us every good gift necessary for this life. God the Son gives himself up for us and makes us innocent. Not out of nothing but love for us. Unschuldigen, if you remember that nice German word, innocent. And God the Holy Spirit makes saving faith not only possible, but thriving, regenerating. The Spirit gives us a faith that makes us truly holy. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, you make our faith thrive. Increase our trust in Christ. Make our love like his love. Grow his image in us until we become the people we were made to be. With the Father and the Son, you live and reign now and forever. Amen.